Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Today's show is my testimony. Last week, I attended a youth camp in Indiana called Fuel. They asked me to preach, and they assigned me the text on the prodigal son from Luke 15. As I pondered and prayed how I should approach this powerful parable, I sensed God wanted me to interweave my own story with the prodigal son. As a result, I decided to share my testimony in an honest and raw way. This was very difficult to do, and that's partly because I don't really like to talk about, uh, as I'm sure you as well, I don't like to talk about my sins. And God has changed me so much over the last 17 or so years that it's embarrassing to think how I used to live and behave and what my focus was. But I really feel that telling this story does bring glory to God, explaining where I came from, why I am so passionate. And it also, I think, can really help a lot of other people, whether you are someone who's not yet following Christ or somebody who is but has children who have strayed from the path. I think my testimony can give you hope. I think it can help you in parenting. And I think it can help you if you are somebody that maybe thinks you're beyond the pale and can give you encouragement that God can save you, even you. So anyhow, without further ado, here is my testimony. What I want to do is share with you the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. And we pick it up in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, where we read, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger, younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. That's a key phrase. He squandered his property in reckless living. And then in verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. This story is about me. I had innumerable blessings growing up that I didn't appreciate. How many of you are pastor's kids in here? That's me. So you can relate to me maybe a little bit. I fear some of you won't relate to me at all, but I'm here to tell my story, and I feel God's put it on my heart, and it's worse than getting my ears pierced, and it's worse than taking a puff of a cigarette at eight years old. And I am who I am, so I'm just going to let it hang out and be honest with you and tell you what God's done in my life, and... Hopefully that can help you. Hopefully God can use that. So I want to tell you about my parents a little bit. My mom grew up 
in abject poverty. Her family was so poor that when she was born, her parents couldn't take care of her. They, can you imagine that? His, her parents actually didn't have enough food and lodging for her. So she was sent off to live with relatives. My dad grew up in Long Island, New York, and his dad owned a bar, Grandpa Finnegan, whom I never met because he, he died about the time I was born, but he owned a bar, and Grandpa apparently was an alcoholic, a bad alcoholic. And one day my dad, as a young man, came home, and he saw his mother on the couch, and she was weeping, and, and she had her face turned away from my father. And so he went, to, and he always loved his mother more than most people. I mean, just incredible love for his mother. And, and, and she wouldn't show her face to my father. And he turned her face to him, and it was black and blue and bloody because his father had beaten up his mother. And something switched in my father that day. He ran into his parents' room. He flung open the door, and he started fighting with his father. He started punching him, and he, and he was defending his mother. And his brother, Jimmy, had to pull him off. And dad, like many troubled youth in that part of the country, fell in with a gang where he could find brotherhood and loyalty. And he did what gangs do. He, he robbed, he stole. He was frequently drunk as a young man, frequently arrested. He would get in fights with the police. The police would come to arrest him and he would punch the police, which never went well. I recommend not doing that, by the way. Eventually, Dad became a junkie. He became a heroin addict. And he shot himself so full of drugs with needles that he had track marks that went all the way down his arms, both arms, and, and, and they, were, they were sort of useless, so he started shooting into his legs, the drugs. But I'm not here to tell you my dad's story or my mom's story. Because by the time I was born, God had miraculously saved my parents. They were already new people. I never knew the old them. Right? By the time I was born, God had blessed their lives. They had turned it around. They had both forgiven. They had both started on the path towards holiness. And so, none of that past world touched me as a child. They protected me. I grew up in a large house in an affluent neighborhood. Unlike my grandparents, my parents stayed married, and they're still married to this day. God helped them break many cycles of generational dysfunction. And so we had, and dad became a pastor before I was born as well. That's all part of the, his story, but I'm not here to tell you his story. And so he became a pastor, so we had a house church in my house. And so the, the, the rule was you can either go to our Bible study, you can either go to our service at the house, or you can find someplace else to live. That's the way my dad put it. <laughs> I decided to go. And we, we had services every Sunday and every Wednesday night at my house. And eventually, we were able to grow to a size big enough that we built a church with our own hands. I was a young teenager during that time, or about maybe not that young, I was 16 or so. Every year I attended family camp since the day I was born. I've never missed a family camp in all of my life. Every year. 
Every year I was a teenager, I was at a teen camp. Not fuel, but we had our own teen camps in New York. Still do. I never once worried about food. Never once did the thought come into my head, oh, where's my next meal coming from? And we didn't have much money, but I had my mom. She stayed at home and she, she watched over us, or five of us, five children. And once we saved up, and all seven of us, it took a lot of work, and dad had to, you know, he's a preacher, but he also had to work a job doing wallpaper and painting, and, and, and he really saved up, and, and th those of us who could, you know, we mowed lawns, and we, we piled our money together, and we went to Disney World, all seven of us. And, you know, I had a normal, happy childhood. My parents did a good job. And so I grew up in the faith, and if you ask me a question, I was the kind of kid that could give you the right answer most of the time, like 90% of the time. Even if I didn't know what I was talking about, I, could make, I was kind of like a Josiah Cain. I could just <laughs> make it sound good. Then I went to college. Then I went to college. And when I went to college, everything changed. I went to a, the State University of New York at New Paltz. And if you ever look it up on a map, New Paltz is one town away from Woodstock, New York. And so it has the same vibe as Woodstock. And I didn't even make it through my orientation week until I fell in with a Russian kid who had a bottle of vodka. And I didn't take one puff or one gulp I honestly don't know how much I drank, but I drank enough so that I was completely inebriated, and when I woke up in the morning, I was covered in my own vomit. Can you imagine that? Waking up, covered in, do you know what happens if you vomit in your sleep? You can die. You can die from that. That's how I started my college career. In my Classes, I went to most of them, but I didn't do homework and I certainly didn't study for tests because that's what I did in high school and it seemed to work pretty well then. And there was this other crazy invention that just had come about. This is going to blow your mind. The internet. <laughs> yeah, I was in college when the internet came out. And I was always a gamer. Like, I know some of you are gamers. Like, I was... I wasn't just like a reg like first of all, I don't play games with my thumbs, right? I need a 105 key keyboard and a 360 degree mouse and like a big monitor and it needs to be a seriously immersive first person shooter where I can kill a lot of people. <laughs> Do not insert amen here. <laughs> we'll get to the amens later. We'll get to the eight minutes later. But you know what? The, the, I, I had the fastest computer. I actually had a car, and I sold my car to buy the fastest computer that money could buy. I had the most souped-up desktop on the market. I had this, in those days, would be considered a huge monitor. It cost me over $700 just for my monitor. Okay? My computer was thousands of dollars. Right? And I was hooked up to the college campus's T1 line, and the internet was fast, and I played, and I killed, and I played on a team, and we played capture the flag, 
and it sucked me in. If I had the te a test the next day, if I had a homework assignment the next day, I didn't care. I just played my game. I just gamed and gamed and gamed, and that's all that mattered to me. And so my grades sank like a rock. And then I discovered the frat party, and I, did, and I learned that for $2, I could drink as much beer as I wanted, and I didn't have to stay and clean up the mess afterwards. And no, you, know, you just know the right people, and you can get into these things. One night, I was so drunk at a frat party that I stumbled down the steps from the back door, and I put my head through a window, shattering glass all over the place. Could have died then, too. I share these things with you because it's my story, and I wish you could understand my heart, but this is horribly embarrassing. But I have to tell you, I feel like I have to tell you, I found a girl and I started sleeping with her. I had no control over my lust. I was like an animal enslaved to fleshly impulses. This girl... She found out I, my dad was a pastor. I, I, you know, he used to send me CDs like I was going to listen to that anyhow. You know, the place I was at, I was, so, I was in such a lost state. And she, she, she would find the CDs and she would listen to the CDs. And she would say to me, wow, this, this is really good. And you know what I became? I became the worst thing you can ever become. An anti-evangelist. And I said to her, you don't want to listen to that. You don't want to listen to that stuff. Why do you want to listen to that for? And I made fun of her for listening to it. And then one day, she came up to me and she said, Sean, I'm pregnant. She said, I'm pregnant. And do you know what I felt in my heart at that moment when she said, I'm pregnant? Every ounce of passion, every bit of love that I had for this girl drained like sand through an hourglass and I had nothing but anger for her that she would dare to get pregnant on me. That's where I was at. It was a very dark place. But I couldn't break up with her. I was too enslaved to my lust. So I stayed with her anyhow, even though I didn't even like her anymore. Turns out she wasn't pregnant. She wasn't pregnant at all. Maybe she said it to draw me in, or maybe it was a legitimate misunderstanding. Either way, that was my first year of college. By the end of the first year of college, the college sent me a letter. The letter went something like this. You're out of here, kid. The letter was called Academic Dismissal. They said, we don't want you anymore. You have to have a 2.0 to stay in to this college. You have a 1.8. That's 45% out of 100. That was my grade point average. That's like a D, almost D plus. The letter told me not to come back and I had to go home. I had squandered all this money. I was now in debt. I had nothing to show for it. I had a horrible GPA. I had no future. And on top of it all, I had to face my parents. And I came home and my dad was furious. And he pulled me into his room, into his bedroom, and he looked at me with those piercing, dark Italian eyes. And he had the look of disgust on his face. And he yelled and he carried on. 
And I just stood there stupidly. I was numb. I didn't even have an excuse for myself. And he turned to me, and you know what he said to me? He said, you know what you are, Sean? You know what you are? You're a loser. That's what he said to me. And with every fiber of my being, I wanted to say to him, no, I'm not. But I couldn't, because I was. I was losing. I was losing in everything. And so, I sank further. <laughs> Your rock bottom might be a little shallower than mine. But I sank further, and I, and I fell in with my old high school friends that likewise had bombed out of college, and we all went and partied together, and we all went out and got drunk and we hooked up with girls. We went to innumerable parties. And so there, here comes mom and she takes me in the minivan. And she says, no, you're going back to school, boy. And she drives me to the community college. And you know what I do at the community college? I sleep. She drives me there. I go to the library and I sleep while I'm at the college because I got a game all night. I don't have time for all this. That was my life when I was 18 years old and 19 years old. I played video games all night. I could not escape from my addiction. In my first semester at this new school, I had a 1.9 academic probation yet again. Let's go back to Luke 15, verse 13. Let's read it again. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, that's what I did. I was squandering my life in reckless living. Do you hear me? Are you with me? Anybody still alive? Okay, thank God. So he went, verse 15, hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, when he came to himself, when he came to himself, that's the moment. And if you haven't had that moment yet, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you had... There was a moment where you come to yourself. He said, this is what he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. The key to everything are those four words, he came to himself. Until I came to myself, until I woke up, until I said to myself, what are you doing with your life? Until I said that, nothing happened. I was selfish. All I cared about was myself. I used people for what they have given me. I have forsaken the God of my childhood. I was 19 years old and I was dependent on mommy and daddy for a place to live. I bombed out of the first school and I was bombing out of the second one too. At the end of my second semester, this is the end of my second year of college, I had a 1.96, which is a solid D+. That means that for two full years, I never escaped academic probation once. I had no future. I was addicted to video games, getting drunk, pornography. I couldn't control myself. I was out of control. And dad called me a loser. And so I was. And I didn't know a way out of it. On my own. It's not like 
It's not like I could, I could sit there and figure something out. I couldn't. My mind was just so twisted and dark and depraved. And so one night in despair, in my parents' basement, in my bedroom, I cried out to the God of my youth. I was in all kinds of trouble. I was alone in my room. I told God I was sorry for how I was living. I said, God, if you can save me from my destruction, I will live for you. If you can save me, it was, it was not a noble prayer. It was if you save me from my situation that I'm in, then I'll live for you. There was no fanfare, no music playing, no dim lights, just me and God. And I prayed my heart out to Him and I cried out to the God of my parents. And then I went to bed. Then this truth from Luke chapter 15, verse 20 hit me like a ton of bricks. It says, And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and said to him, Get out of here, kid. We don't want your kind around here. No. That's not the story Jesus told. What does the father do in the parable? He has compassion. He has compassion. And he says, it ran, he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. The next day I woke up, I was a new man. I was a new human being. As I stand before you, I was a new person. And I probably blew some of your minds that think you knew me when I tell the darkness that I was in before. Because you only know the me after Christ. You don't know the B.C. Sean. My wife knows the B.C. Sean. I don't know how she ever married me. But she knew the before Christ Sean. God saved me because of what Christ did. Not because... I earned or deserved anything. It wasn't because my dad was a pastor. God saved my dad before that. It was because of the blood of Christ. These songs we've been singing, right? He, he washed the red away, right? Until it was white. He washed me. I don't know how it works. I can't prescribe it for you. All I know is that there is this incredible honor God gives to each one of us when it comes to our will. And if you set your intention in tune with what God says, He's ready to act. And that's what I did that night in my despair, in my drunkenness, in my lust, in my dysfunction, in my narcissism, is I cried out to God and I said, God, save me! And He did! He saved me! He changed me! I'm not the same! I was forgiven. I was forgiven of my sins. That's not to say I didn't face any consequences. I still had two years of terrible grades under my belt. And every college, I've graduated from four colleges after that. Every college I applied to, I had to send those embarrassing transcripts to. I felt like it was a, a, a weight on a chain around my ankle that I had to carry with me through my life that first year of school. And the second year, you know what I did? I said, all right, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do what my parents taught me to do. I'm going to pray for once. 
and not just for my food. I'm going to pray that God helps me to live today for Him. And I read my Bible, not because my parents wanted me to, not because I could get a candy for memorizing a verse, which is great, uh, but because I, I wanted to do it. I wanted to read it. And I, and I remember I read 1 Corinthians, some chapter of 1 Corinthians, and I was just like, I can understand it. There was some weird thing that happened where my eyes were opened and I could read the Scriptures and suddenly it was like, wow, I, I get it. I understand what this is saying to me. And God gave me a thirst to read the book. I've read the book over and over and over and over again because He gave me a desire to read the Bible. And so I quit drinking. I quit cold turkey. I quit. One of the hardest things was to quit my old friends. See, what I did is I quit drinking, but I still hung out with the old friends. And what do the old friends do? They go to parties and get drunk. So I would go to the party and not get drunk. And suddenly it's like my eyes are open there too. I'm like, wow, this is the lamest thing I've ever seen in my life. This isn't fun. They're not doing anything. They're just in an altered state of consciousness. So they think it's fun. So I had to stop going to the parties. And I remember my brother and I, my little brother and I, we were hanging out at this dead end street where my friend Todd lived. And uh, we were hanging out out there and we heard my friend from inside his house, we heard him say these words to his mother. I live for the day that you die. He said that to his own mother. In all my dysfunction, I never said that to my mother. Just for the record. And I turned to my brother and I said to my brother, we got to find new friends. <laughs> these guys are no good for us. You know, it's like we heard this morning about the peer pressure. And you know what I did? Even though these were my brothers, we, we were like blood brothers, these guys and I. We had been through high school together. I turned away from them and I said, no, I'm not coming out tonight. And I found some Christian friends. And you know what? They didn't look as cool. And Christian music wasn't as exhilarating as Metallica in the, in the late 90s, okay? It wasn't. But you know what? I learned how to live as a Christian. Those, those Christian friends, they taught me. They taught me. They say, Sean, when you get in the car, this is what we do in the car. We turn on the Christian music and we sing along. I said, well, that's, that's a little strange. I thought we headbang and smoke cigarettes to Metallica. Okay, we sing along. That's nice, right? And he taught me how to be a Christian. I'm talking about Victor Gluckin in particular. He showed me the way. He showed me the way. And others, others as well that were part of that. And, you know, we would have spontaneous Bible studies together. And um, so what ended up happening is I figured that God would want me to try at school. So I learned how to study. It didn't come naturally to me. I had to learn how to study. I had to learn how to prioritize. I had to get a little planner out and put all the assignments in the planner. And you know what happened that first semester after God saved me from my sin? I got a 4.0. Does anybody know what that is? That means all A's. That means all A's. 4.0. And this, this school that I went to, this community college, they had a rule that if you had gotten an F in a class and then later on you get an A, the A replaces the F. Right? And so the next semester I got a 4.0 again. And by the end of that two-year period, even though the first year was like a train wreck, by the end of that two-year period, I had a 3.78 GPA. I applied to one of the best engineering schools in the entire country, and I wrote my personal essay on trust in God to a secular atheist science engineering institute. And they accepted me. 
They had rejected me out of high school. Now they accepted me. This is a school called RPI. It's a big engineering school in New York State. And they accepted me, and then out of the blue, an elderly couple in my church found out through the grapevine that I got into this big, fancy, expensive school. You know what they said to my, to my parents and to, and to me? They said, you know what? We have a strong connection with this school. You know, we like to, we like to support this school. We're going to pay for your son's education, 100%. $26,000 like that. That's year one. Year two, another $26,000. These days, to go to that same school, it's over 40, 50 grand for one year to go to this school. I don't owe a dime to that school. Never have. Where did that come from? How, how could I imagine a way to cause that to happen? I couldn't. It's God. God began to bless my life. And when God blesses your life, you can't always explain it, but you live it His way. And I'm not saying you're all going to get random old people to give you college for free. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but that's my story. Okay, that's my story. And I worked really hard, and I hung out with all the non-American students. You know what I'm talking about, the Indians, the Pakistanis, the Chinese. I had this friend from Kuwait. You know why? Because they were hitting the library late at night. They had something to prove. And those were all my friends. They taught me about Indian food, too. And I hung out with those guys, and all we did was study, sometimes till 4 in the morning, because this school was grueling. And by God's grace... I got a 3.91 at that school. That's all A's and only two B's, and those B's were in electives, like professional development. <laughs> in differential equations, in, in physics, in engineering, in computer hardware design, in computer programming, by God's strength, I was able to get all A's. I had a 4.0 in my major. But you know what, that's not the end of my story. But tonight is not really about me. Tonight is about this prodigal son that Jesus talks about. This son who takes everything he has from his parents and wastes it and squanders it and then comes back and says, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son or your daughter. And I have a question for you. Have you made this decision for yourself? Where are you at? in your own spiritual journey? Are you somebody who, this is your first time at Fuel, and you have really no idea what to expect? Maybe you haven't been to Christian events before. Or are you like me? Are you a cynical pastor's kid who just kind of grew up with it, and you're just like, yeah, 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 I already know that. Because that's me, right? Take from my, from my story. Learn from it. You don't have to bruise and batter yourself as badly as I did just to get to the same place as me. In fact, you can get to the same place as me tonight if you want to. You can get to the same place as me tonight if you want to. Because all it takes is that moment I had in the basement where I cried out and I said, God, save me. And then not only that, because I went to bed, I had to wake up the next day and, and live it. I had to live it too. But it starts in the heart. And I wonder where you're at tonight. You know, what separates you from God? If you're really honest in your own heart, what separates from your, you from God? Is it this, is it this notion? I bet, I bet so many of you have this notion. It's like, all right, I'll do that later. I just need to, 
I just need to go wild for a little while first. Look, there are no guarantees in this life. You could be in the midst of going wild and get shot. You could be in the midst of going wild and when you fall down the stairs on the back porch of a frat house and break your head through the window, you could die. I could have died. It could be you that doesn't know how to handle alcohol and wakes up or doesn't wake up when you vomit and then you die because you choke on your own puke. How do you think your parents would feel about that? Right? Imagine that letter home. As a pastor, I've seen a lot of things. I've seen people who have chosen the wrong path over and over again. And I've seen the dysfunction. I know people that go to jail like you go to a ball game. They get out and then the whole rest of their time is like, how do I get back into jail? I know I'll commit this crime again. You want to be like that? I don't want to be like that. The question is, what kind of person do you want to be? Look, going to fuel doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. These are helpful. But what makes you a true Christian is that with your heart, you make a decision. And many of you have made that decision, and then you have let yourself drift. And many of you probably haven't made that decision yet. And so I encourage you tonight, why not tonight? Why not tonight? I can tell you, having tasted, having drunk the cup of this world to the dregs, it is sweet in your, in your mouth, but it is bitter in your belly. And in the end, you're sitting alone in a pig pen, feeding the pigs all alone, and you're like, man, I used to have it pretty good. Back in Dad's house, man, the servants have it better than I do. So why not turn it over tonight? I want to close on this last scripture, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, because this verse was very dear to me in my own moment of conversion. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. The question is not the question is not why should I do it? The question is, why shouldn't you do it? Look, you can get forgiveness for your sins. You can get a whole new meaningful life if you choose to be a follower of Christ. And so Romans 10.9, we read, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Do you know what Lord means? It doesn't mean Savior. Lord means He's in charge. Let me tell you, just very quickly, I'm out of time, but let me just tell you what being in charge means, right? Being in charge means that if Jesus says something that you disagree with, you still do it anyhow. All right? Now, if you just do the things that he agrees with you about or that you agree with him about, he's not your Lord. You just happen to be walking in the same direction as Jesus for a minute. Right? If he's your Lord, it's when you, it's when you disagree, when you say to Jesus, Jesus, you know, you're from a primitive time. I, I don't know if, if you can really relate to my situation. Everybody does it like this these days. I'm going to do it like this these days, and I'm just going to pray for forgiveness. Look, if that's your heart, he's not your Lord. Period. But if you say, because you saved me, I will follow you, even if it costs me everything, then he's your Lord. And that's what this says here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's pray. Please bow with me. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to repent, help us to confess, help us to believe. I pray that you would help us to realize that you are a God of great love and forgiveness and that 
whatever crazy things we've done, whatever dysfunction, whatever embarrassment we've had in our lives, that if we come honestly to You, that You say You will forgive us. And You say that even after we become Christians, that if we confess our sins to You, that You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I pray tonight, Father, for this congregation. I pray that You would help their hearts to resolve to decide for You. To choose You. To choose Your Son. To say the words, Jesus is Lord. The words that can rattle anyone from whatever dysfunction. I pray for this tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.